let me ask you this as we get started this morning. Did you ever have, uh, when you were in school, your teacher would give you a writing prompt, right? And, and it seems like you'd get back and like they were just trying to get you warmed up on maybe the first week back to school and they would write on the board, um, my favorite part of summer vacation was, right, and they hand out the blank piece of paper and, and you have your assignment to do. Or um, now they do the, um, uh, the back to school boards. They didn't have those when I was a kid, but you see the kids holding this board and it says, my name is, I am blank years old, my favorite subject is, I wanna be, and, and you, fill it all, you fill in the blank. So I've got a, pr a prompt for you today. This isn't a test. Uh, I don't want the, uh, for you to think of what is the right answer or to get too deep into the thinking, but just I'm gonna give you a prompt and I want you to think of the, just think of the first thing that comes to your mind. When I say God is, I heard, I heard love. I thought that might be the, maybe the first one that I heard. God is, what else? God is love. God is great, good, patient, I heard. God is, I couldn't get any of those. <laughs> okay, God is holy, God is just, God is merciful, God is faithful, God is gracious. We could just, we could go on and on and on. We could look at scripture uh, for each one of those. Um, God is love was, was my first answer as well. So it was some of your first answers. Um, and so <clears throat> thinking of a verse there, 1 John 4 verses 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. This is why we love each other. Because love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so, um, one of the distinguishing characteristics of a, a follower of Christ should be love for God and love for other people. And so um, love is one. And probably the next one that comes to my mind is God is holy. And maybe that's one of the things that distinguishes, of course, in, in all these things, if you say love or faithful or merciful or gracious, we all have, the, uh, we all have people that we might know. Maybe you wrote, in your, in, you wrote a card to your dad today or you're gonna call your dad on the phone and you're gonna say, Dad, you know, you've just been so you know, fill in the blank. You, you're so gracious, you're so loving. It's hard to come up with those kinds of words for dad, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot easier to come up with those words for mom. But when we say that of a human, what we mean is generally speaking, most of the time, this is a loving person. They care about somebody and so their actions show that they care. When we say God is love, we mean he is, he loves perfectly. He loves always. He could never not love. He could never not be loving. And when we say God's faithful, we mean God is perfectly faithful. He is always faithful. In, in no way can he act in a way that is unfaithful. And so God is so much different than us as humans. <clears throat> um, God is holy. That's maybe the one where we're most different from God. And this idea of God's holiness is that he is perfect. He is set apart, completely different than us. And that's the part of the definition, which is why um, we are not like that. But God tells Moses, um, 
After Moses had broken the Ten Commandments out of his frustration uh, because the people were uh, worshiping a golden calf that they had created, he broke the Ten Commandments and God told Moses, get two new tablets, we're gonna do this again. And he came to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 and the Lord passed before him, passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, excuse me, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, Okay, this is the correct verse. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There he is, he's merciful, he's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, he's faithful. The verse I was trying to come to for God's holiness is uh, in Leviticus 11:44, where God tells the, Moses, for I am the Lord your God, concentrate yourself therefore and be holy, because I am holy. God is all these things and he's all these things perfectly, all the time, all at once. That's a tall order to try and live up to. We can't do it, we do our best. Um, and there's a big difference between how we act as humans and how God acts towards us um, as God. But Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, tells them, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So as we read about who God is, as we understand about who God is, we are to imitate God in our lives. And so as fathers, we do our best, don't we, to imitate God in these ways. And so I, I wanna try and be, some of those are, are big ideas, they can be a little bit abstract ideas. And so I wanna look in Luke chapter 15 with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, get it out, turn there, go to it on your phone. Um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 and ask this question, what does it look like for an earthly father to imitate his heavenly father? And of course, Luke chapter 15 um, has the parable of the lost sheep, then the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to look at the father in this uh, parable as represent, uh, representing God and how God acts towards, or the father in this story, acts towards his son and see how as human fathers should we behave in imitating our heavenly father. So let's pray together and then we're gonna look at Luke chapter 15. Lord, thank you uh, again for allowing us to be together this morning. It's so good to be uh, in your house this morning. Thank you for your word, for the truth in it, how you reveal yourself to us. Lord, I pray as we, we look at this scripture this morning that you would just reveal to us, especially on this day, Father's Day, as we want to uh, honor fathers in our lives, as we want to be thankful for the fathers that we have. We really recognize that ultimately uh, you're the only father that gets it right all the time. But Lord, as, as dads, we want to uh, imitate you as we know that we have uh, young ones, and some of us have older, older ones that are looking to us and imitating us. So would we uh, understand your word, Lord, so that we can represent you well? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 11, and uh, let me just read a little bit to you. As, as he said, this is Jesus speaking, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The father divided his property between his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So this is a a familiar uh, story probably to a lot of us, but it's the story of this, of, uh, of this family. And we know there's a father and we know there's a two, there are two sons. And the, the younger son went to his father and said, Dad, I want my share of the estate. And it doesn't tell us how old the, the boy was. Probably wasn't like nine years old. You know, if he was nine, the father probably would have said, now get, you're, you're being silly. So he's probably old enough to have some level of responsibility. I don't know if he's 18, maybe he's 25, maybe he's 30. But he's, the, he's, he, he's described as the younger son, and the father apparently is living, hasn't retired, he's not dead yet. And so the son says to the father, Dad, I know you're not retired, I know you're still, you're still managing the estate, you're not dead yet, but just give me what's coming to me. Maybe not the model son, you think? A um, little bit of disrespect there. And so the, the father here has a, has a choice. And what we, we're gonna, pull, we're gonna pull six things out of this story that a father can do in imitating our heavenly father. The first thing he can do is allow kids to make their own decisions. All right, dad, sometimes you gotta let your kids make their own decisions. And so we see, I don't know what the, if there was a discussion. Uh, I think if it were me, I would have had a discussion with my son. Well, what are you gonna do with the money? Uh, do you know that, uh, that we're doing well? We're, we're growing the estate. There'll be more later if you wait. I, I don't know what all they talked about. I, was, uh, I would think they had some sort of discussion. The father certainly could have said, you know what? You'll get it when I'm dead. And you should be happy that you're still living under my roof. I don't know. Uh, but I would think there was some sort of discussion. But at the end of the day, the father uh, split the property, gave the share of the, of the, of the property to his son. And um, my guess is the father had an idea of what was coming. It says the reckless son took the money uh, and he left. He went away to a far country to, to live uh, his life. I'm guessing the father probably, like I said, kind of had an idea of what was going on, but he allowed his son to make the decision. I'm guessing knowing that he knew it would be a bad decision. But isn't that how God treats us? You ever made a bad decision? <laughs> I've made some bad decisions. Um, but but let, let's, let's go to we, go to, we go to this account in Genesis so often Uh, But I think there's so much that we can draw from it. Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden, complete freedom. They're they're tasked with managing the garden to to rule over it. And uh, they they have freedom to do that in any way they want with just one boundary. God says, this tree is not, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from this tree. Uh, But they had the option to do it if they want to, even against God's instruction. And of course, we we know what happens. Genesis 2, verses 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. He says, look at this, you got all of it. But he says, "The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
Don't eat this one. Just put a boundary up around this one tree for their own good. Uh, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when, when Moses um, has uh, re-given re the commandments to the people they're about to. Moses is getting ready. He knows he's dying soon. He knows the people are gonna go into the promised land without him. And this is what he says um, to the people. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord God will bless you in that land that you're entering to take possession of it. He, he, he gave the people a choice. He said, you have a choice today between life and good or death and evil. He, he recommended to them like, look, Choose life, choose what is good, choose what is right, you'll multiply, you'll live in the land. Um, and, and God does that for us. He's given us this guidebook with instructions on how to live life. He's not, he's not standing over your shoulder though, and every time we start to turn in the wrong direction, he grabs you by the shoulders and gets you back on track. In ways he does that through his Holy Spirit, but he does not force us to live according to his word, but that's the instruction, isn't it? And so as God gives us the, um, the ability to make choices, good choices, bad choices, as, as dads, as parents, so we need to let our kids make choices. And then what goes along with that is we must allow our kids to experience the consequences of those choices. All right, so um, we see that the son in verse... Um, 13, he gathered all his things, went to a far country, bought a house on the lake, bought that charger that his dad wouldn't let him have. He had parties. I don't know what he did, but he was living a good life. Uh, he was spending a lot of money on something, and he ran out of money. Um, he, he hit rock bottom in that this, this Jewish boy of a, coming from a, what seems to be a good family of reasonable means is now eating, hoping to eat really, pig feed. And so he hits, he hits rock bottom because of his poor decision, decisions. You might ask, well, where was the dad? Well, I mean, we know he was back on the, uh, at the estate managing things, but he seems to, he had servants, he had estate, he, he, was wealth, he had enough wealth that he could give his youngest son a third of what he had before he was ready to do it. So he, hit, he was possibly a man of means. Maybe he could have sent somebody to kind of keep tabs on his son. Probably didn't have the Life360 app on his phone uh, like we do, but he probably had the ability to check in on his son, make sure things were going okay, but he, he doesn't seem to be there. Sometimes loving our children, dads, and moms, but it's Father's Day today, means we don't bail them out. Sometimes they're gonna have to experience the consequences of their actions. And this is how God treats us. Back to, back to um, Genesis and back to Deuteronomy. God commanded them, don't, uh, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but, don't, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at the last verse of this verse, uh, last part of this verse, Genesis 2.16. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
So God didn't just tell him, don't do this. He said, don't do this because if you do, you will die. And when he says you will die, he doesn't mean a lightning bolt from heaven would strike him dead, but that they would, uh, they were expelled from the garden and instead of living what a, apparently they could have lived endlessly in the garden, now with sin in their lives, uh, says God limited man's days to 120 years. And so they, they left, they had to work the garden. God said, look, this is the best thing for you, but if you don't choose this, you'll have these consequences. And so when Adam and Eve chose poorly, God didn't yell at them. He didn't have a, he didn't have a temper tantrum with them. He, he, he didn't berate them, he just said, okay. He went to them, he found them, he pursued them, he took care of them but they had their consequences. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we read the uh, verses 15 and 16 already. Moses set before them life and good, death and evil. If you obey, uh, then you'll live and multiply. The verses continue, verses 17 and 18, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Consequences for the decisions. God says, choose life and what's good. You'll live long, you'll multiply, you'll prosper. God said to him, choose, uh, choose death. Uh, what did it say? Choose death and evil and you won't prosper. You won't get to live long in the land. And we, we can follow the story of the people of Israel and we see for times they obeyed and they prosper. There were times where they disobeyed and they suffered. Consequences for the decisions. God's perfect, he's holy, he's just. He outlines in his word what we are to do and he gives us the ability to make choices. And so sometimes with our kids, we've got to do the same thing. So you might say, We've got the Wheeler family up front here and they've still got some little ones running around and you're like, well, he's like four years old. Zoe had a birthday this week. She's six years old. Six-year-old, you're gonna, you're gonna let my six-year-old have a choice? Like, we gotta have some rule in this house, right? What is the goal of parenting? To get through the day, kids in a row? Or to raise young men and women who learn, have learned to make decisions for themselves and those decisions being to love God and to love other people. So with little ones in the house, you can, you, it can be as simple as, all right guys, need you to clean up your room. I want you to clean up your room by lunch. If it's not cleaned, we won't be going to the park this afternoon, right? You come in at lunchtime, the room's cleaned. All right guys, let's go to the park. The room's not clean. It doesn't have, doesn't have to be any yelling. You don't have to spank them. You don't have to ground them. You don't, you've already said what you're gonna do. We won't go to the park. So you say, okay, we had a great day at the park planned. You're gonna have to stay home with dad and I'm gonna take Susie to the park. That child is learning that they can make a decision and deal with the consequences that come with it. All right, so um, we have to let our kids make their own decisions. We have to let them experience consequences for the decisions, but we also see here that the father had an unfailing love for his children. All right, look in verse 17 with me, uh, these next few verses. So the son here is in the distant land, he's just wishing he could eat some of this pig food, 
And it says, when the son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I'm perishing here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. We know this is a parable. Uh, Life doesn't always work so cut and dried and so smoothly. Uh, But sometimes they'll come and repent. Sometimes it's uh, a lot more difficult situation. But this is how this one went down. So he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could say any more, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. He had an unfailing love for his children. Now he could have seen him a long way off and just gone back to the house. Said, I'll deal with him tomorrow. Maybe he could have even gone so far as to say, you know what, I don't want to see him. Jewish law says a rebellious son could be stoned to death. Maybe he could have uh, just sent one of the hired servants and said, hey, your, your dad saw you come and he said you can sleep with us tonight. But the father was moved with compassion. It, says, it literally means his bowels were moved. Uh, maybe he had butterflies in his stomach, his heart was racing and he ran to his son. So in the first century, you know, this would be a Jewish man wearing the long robes. He'd have to gather up his, his, his robes, exposing his legs, and running to his son, really in humiliation and embarrassment. It would have been an undignified way for a, for a Jewish man to, to act in that day. And he ran to his son. And it reminds, as I was, I was looking at this, I was with two five or uh, hot kids on, on Wednesday night uh, with some of their activities. And so um, they were down on the lower field and there were games and they're swimming. And um, Hannah, back to the Wheeler family, had just told me that it was Zoe's birthday. So I congratulated, you know, happy birthday. And then she saw Jason arrive from, I, I'm assuming he was coming from work. And Zoe saw Jason and her, her face lit up and she started running up the hill towards him. And it was so precious, Jason didn't just stand there and wait for her. He took off in this, kind of a goofy, silly, I love my daughter and I don't care what anybody thinks about me. He, he just kind of this goofy run and he picked her up and gave her this, this big hug. It was an expression of his love for his daughter. And this father, this is the son that disrespected him. This was the, fun, the son that said, give me, it wasn't even his money to have yet, but he said, give me what's coming to me. Give me, give me your, a third of your, of your wealth and took off and wasted it. And the father's response when he saw him was to, in an undignified manner, run to his son to express his love for his son. 
So you could say, well, where was the father? I'm sure he was praying for his son. On this day, he saw his son from afar off. Maybe he, was, he would stand there uh, and, and look down the road some days, hoping that his son would return, come to his senses. It's a picture of this father's love for his son. So as fathers, we should have an unfailing love for our children. And we should also forgive our children. Now, in this situation, the son's rehearsed it in his mind. Okay, I'll go back, and uh, I, I'm not expecting anything. Just maybe he'll let me work for him. Because the, at least the servants got to eat good food. I'm not even eating anything here. Maybe I'll get some good food. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll get a roof over my head. Maybe I can uh, work hard and, and just you know, have, a, have at least a decent living instead of living in misery. He didn't expect to have any privileges. Uh, He just went humbly. He confessed his sin to his father. So the father here has the choice. Like we already talked about, he maybe could have even just not even wanted to see him. He could have said, you know what, You're you're gonna live, I don't want you in my house, you can live in the servants' quarters. Um, he could have maybe come up with the same plan that the son had come up with. Well, if, if he ever comes back, he's going to work. And you know, had it calculated out how many days that son was going to work to earn back the money that he had already been given. But the son came with a repentant heart. But notice the father had, in his love, accepted him before he even knew what his son would say. But when his father, or excuse me, when the son confessed his sin the Father forgave him. And isn't that how our Heavenly Father treats us? How many, how many times, you can't even count it, but let me ask the question, how many times have we fallen short? Have we made poor choices? Have we sinned? Every sin we commit is a sin against God, and yet he sent his Son. He sent his Son for people who he for sins that had already been committed, but for us, he sent his son, knowing the sins we commit, would commit, he sent his son anyways for us. He forgives us. We can't be separated from his love. The Bible says when we confess our sins, he is faithful, which means he can't not do it because he's faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as, as fathers, we need to let our kids make their own decisions. We need to let our kids experience consequence from their decisions. But we've also got to be there to love them despite their decisions and to forgive them. In this case, we've got like best case scenario. The son came and confessed his sin. But even when they don't admit their sin, we need to forgive what they do against us. But here's another one. Got two more. A father who's imitating his heavenly father will celebrate his children. Um, Let's look at these uh, next uh, couple of verses. Uh, Let me find it. So the the son is just confessing, look dad, I was wrong, I, I shouldn't have done that, I'm not even worthy to be called a son. And in verse 22, the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, we're going to celebrate. 
I think the celebration for this father anyway is just an overflow of emotion. This son that maybe he thought, he thought was dead, maybe he thought would never return, had come home and he was probably relieved that his son was okay, uh, didn't know what kind of condition his son was in. He hears his son has this repentant heart and he said, it is time to celebrate. So we need to celebrate good choices when our kids make good choices. We need to uh, celebrate our kids when they're just being goofy and, and silly. Our kids need to hear the words that we love them, that we're proud of them, that uh, they've done a good job. We need to celebrate and, and encourage them when they do well, when they make good choices. As, as, as young believers, if our, if our kids have accepted Christ, that great job, You're, this is you yielding to the Holy Spirit. We're teaching them how this thing works. It's not about them trying to do better, it's about them yielding to the Holy Spirit. And so the father is celebrating the son and in verse 24, we see this language almost like the, the language we would use for someone who comes to accept Christ. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found and they began to celebrate. And the scripture teaches us just earlier in this chapter, uh, like I said, Jesus started with the parable of the lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin. And the concluding verse before he goes to the parable of the prodigal son is uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The idea of celebrating a good choice is something that the angels are doing in heaven. When, when a sinner repents, the angels celebrate. And so when our kids are making good choices, we should celebrate um, what they're doing. And the, the, probably the last point that we'll look at here is a, a good father who imitates his heavenly father always leaves his door open for his children. I was talking to, to Joe Nickerson. I don't think, Joe, Joe's not here this morning, is he? Is he, is he here? I see uh, son and grandson over there. Um, but he is, is, do you know, is he 62, 67 years old? Dave, how old is your brother? 67 maybe? 68. The other, a couple weeks ago, Joe said to me, we were talking about uh, uh, Marie, uh, who uh, as well could use our prayers, uh, uh, fell and uh, was it a broken femur? Um, and so doing some rehab now. And um, they had just moved her into Stonehenge recently. And Joe said to me, he said, he said, Jeff, I'm 67, 68 years old. He said, for the first time, Linda and I are empty nesters. I said, what? He said, we've always had someone in our home. He said, if, if, someone, if someone needed a place, then they were welcome in our home. He said, I'm 68 years old, and first time I'm an empty nester. Uh, a good father always leaves his door open. Let's, let's look at that. Now, this is verse 25 here in chapter 15 of uh, the Gospel of Luke. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, what are these things? And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. This is the older brother. He was angry and refused to go in. Now look, just as the father 
saw the younger son in the distance and went to him, just as God in the garden when Adam and Eve were ashamed of their sin, went to them and looked for them, the, the older son now is ticked because his younger son's getting a celebration after he's been there working hard all this time. The father goes to the older son. The father came out and entreated him, um, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father had an equal love for both his son who was diligently being a good son, being a responsible adult, working the property, learning the business, whatever, whatever it was they did, um, faithfully working, doing what was right, but he had equal love for that son as he did for this prodigal son who had went and squandered a third of the estate. Um, when the prodigal son returned, he has this attitude, Dad, I'm not worthy. Dad, just, just let me live with the servants. I'll work for, for the privilege of, allow, of you allowing me to be in your house. Um, he expects that he'll be treated differently. I've done wrong and therefore I am now no longer worthy. And isn't that how we feel sometimes? Oh, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't serve in that way because, you know, I'm, I, I've, got, I'm, I've got my own issues that I've got to deal with. I couldn't do that. And yet this, was, this is a lie. This is what the prodigal son felt. Oh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to be in, the, in, in my father's house. And the father says, no, I love you just as much as I love my older son who's been faithful. And he welcomed him back. He embraced him. He treated him with honor, he brought him, he, had a, he celebrated with him, but essentially he said, look, you have just as much of a place at my table as my older son who has been faithful and who has um, been hardworking and has honored me. And we see the heart of God in this, don't we? Does God love someone who has served him faithfully for, for many years, perhaps all their life, more than the one who's lived, lived a life, a, a reckless life, maybe like the prodigal, squandering years, squandering resources, squandering time, being hateful to people? Does he, does he, does he love us because of what we do or does he love us because we're his creation? He loves us because we're his creation. As, as those who have uh, accepted Christ as Lord, who have, have um, believed in Jesus as their savior, does he love his, his sons and daughters in the faith more when they serve more, or does he love them less when they kind of just do their own thing, show up once in a while on Sunday, throw a, a $20 bill on the plate and say, well, I'm being, that's all, I'm, that's all that was for. Does he love one more than the other? He loves us all, it's the heart of the Father. And so even though as we act sometimes as, as children, we think as his children, we, we sometimes we act as the older one. Well, I deserve this because I've done these things. And sometimes we act like the younger one. Well, I don't deserve that because I did these things. 
But we see here that there's, sure, there's consequence for our actions, but the Father's love is unfailing for all of us. There's the, the, the Father kept his doors open for the Son. I was um, reading this week, Bethany Christian Services is a fostering and adoption agency, um, Christian-based, and they say on their website that there are 400, 443,000 kids in foster care. About 125,000 of them need a permanent home and are ready to be adopted. 125,000 kids in the United States need a permanent home, they're ready to be adopted. So big, big numbers, but consider this, there are approximately 380,000 churches in the United States. So if one out of three churches had one family that would adopt one kid, there'd be no There'd be no waiting list. Now, I'm not saying that we should all go out and adopt a kid, although um, I think it's amazing what uh, some of you have done, and Mike and Dion are, uh, I don't know if you finalized, or they're super close to uh, adopting Zoe, exciting things, but I think this principle is true. We leave our doors open for our kids. So these, these are the things we've looked at this morning. A father imitating God, will do these things among many other things. And you know, I'll say this, not every scenario is the same scenario as the one here. But these are principles. Sometimes you say, well, Pastor Jeff, what about tough love? Well, what about, that's, that's the, the, there are all situations, but these, these things are true. Uh, it takes the Lord's discernment to how to apply them to your particular situation. But a father imitating God will allow kids to make their own decisions, will allow kids to experience consequences for their decisions. A father imitating God will have unfailing love for their children, they'll forgive their children, they'll celebrate their children, and they'll leave their door open for their children. Not a magic formula, no guarantees. But these are some of the ways that our Father in heaven treats us. And if we are to imitate him, then we would do well to imitate him in these ways. Romans 12, verse 18, um, talking about a totally different thing, but I love one of the principles that we can pull from this verse. If possible, it says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And the principle here is, when I read this verse, is obviously it's talking about living at peace with one another, and, and, and you could have a whole discussion about that. But there's something in this verse that, um, that um, I, I guess is, is comforting in a way. It, the, the phrase that says, so far as it depends on you. A lot of times when we're, when Sarah mentioned, you know, sometimes we, Father's Day isn't perfect for everyone because not every relationship is perfect. But as, as far as it depends on you, fathers, you doing what's within your ability and your control to do. Children, as far as it depends on you, we see the actions of the prodigal coming in a, in a repentant way to the father. Fathers, as far as it depends on you, we see them treating their, the, the, the prodigal with love. We see him treating the older son with love. Uh, we see him 
uh, forgiving. As far as it depends on you, these are things that we should do. And, you know, in the end, sometimes we, not sometimes, all the time, we have to leave the results with God. Let's just close in prayer right there. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father. You love us perfectly. You care for us perfectly. You have instructed us perfectly in your word. Uh, You correct us perfectly. You treat us uh, with mercy perfectly. You treat us graciously perfectly. Lord, we, I, I know that I fall short as a father. I know each man in here doesn't have to be told that they fall short. But Lord, as we have looked into your word this morning and we've caught a glimpse of your heart for your children, Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart for our kids. Lord, that you would uh, give us discernment in how we are to um, uh, treat our children as we imitate you. Uh, Lord, maybe there's uh, been something in here for a, for a son or a daughter that they uh, have gleaned in, in how they need to look towards their father. Would you give us um, wisdom in how we should leave here this morning uh, and apply your word to our relationships? Thank you, Lord, for loving us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.